Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Ah, but actually, not your favourite pieces this time, because we have a composer on. Joining me, Leon, in Sound of Play 105, is Ryan Eston Paul. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hello, Leon. Right, so uh, who are you, Ryan? And as I understand it, wasn't there something like now? Uh, I might be incorrect in this, uh, but uh, we have a mutual friend in in Dan Clark. Is that right? Uh, yes, <laughs> me and Dan go way back. Do you? No, 
for Facebook friends. <laughs> Facebook friends. Okay. Um, and wasn't there something like you hadn't, was it you heard the podcast and then hadn't made the connection that it was the same Dan Clark as was on the podcast or something like that? Right. Yeah. Um, I was an avid listener of Cane and Rinse. Ah, and one day, First plug. I, well <laughs> one day I heard Dan Clark on the show and yeah. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and then I messaged him on Facebook and said, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And then he filled in the blanks. I'm I apparently see. a little slow. <laughs> well, so you didn't know because you were a Facebook friend, you didn't know what he sounded like. Uh, no, I never heard his voice. No, absolutely. And uh, yeah, he sounds like a, a little a, a little gruff hobbit man, which is what he is. Um, except when I first heard him, I, I thought he sounded like a big, tall, uh, clean, clean cut, clean shaven guy. But it turns out he's uh, he's he's not, none of those things. But uh, he's one of our absolute favorite ret- uh, recurring, returning irregular, regular guests. Uh, he's always uh, good value for money and brings so much to the um, to the cane and rinse party, I feel, when we, especially when we're talking Sega, vintage Sega stuff, Mega Drive stuff and things like that. And he has a very impressive beard, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, when I when I, f- I, f- I finally befriended him on Facebook after having known him through Twitter, I guess for a while, and uh, and yeah, my illusions were shattered, but uh, but improved upon also because yeah, nobody nobody could have braced me for for what Dan Clark actually looks like. He fi- fixed me up with you. Uh, he suggested that you might be keen to come on as a listener of Cane and Rinse and um, and somebody who is a talented musician composer and my first question to you ryan is you you started the show there with with a track of your own composition house of the fallen from a game called the age of decadence which is uh, available on steam for pc and uh, so how on earth does one go about making something so beautiful and pretty as as that from the start please tell everyone how you do it you know my process usually there's some there's notes from the developer and whatnot um, in this case there were very few notes um, as you may or may not know, it's kind of hard to speak music if you aren't a musician. Yes. yes. Not to sound pretentious or anything. It's no, just, it, it's, difficult. it's even difficult for us to speak music most of the time. So a lot of times developers will say, I want this to sound, I don't know, sad or dark. You know, uh, the ideas are usually fairly broad, but, uh, in this case I had pretty strong thematic elements, elements to work from. Uh, post-apocalyptic world, uh, very melancholy, just kind of a lack of hope. Plus, you have the elements of a Roman Empire that hasn't fallen. Mm. So traditional Roman music kind of mixed with um, the dark ambience of, of Fallout games. That was kind of my broad spectrum to work from. So uh, House of the Fallen in particular, it uh, represents um, a house called Daratin, and they control a town called Teron. And they were once uh, a great noble house that is pretty much destroyed after this great war. And it's this neat idea that I love, uh, kind of like, you know, Bloodborne, Castle Canehurst, yeah. uh, you know, the vile bloods. <laughs> yeah. You have this uh, nobility that's just holding on to something that's not there, this vanity that's just a fantasy. And uh, this is what's going on with this house. Um, there's no hope for them, but they're holding on to power in this world that's crumbling. So... I like this piece because of the balance of uh, you have this kind of stately flavor over top of it, but really deeply inside of it, it's a lamentation. 
So it's like a lamentation with this thinly disguised veil of uh, like a courtly entertaining nobility piece. <laughs> but it's a very thin veil. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite lovely. And uh, you somebody I always like to ask when we have a composer on you, somebody who do you sit down first with real instruments? Do you sit down at the computer or how, how does that work for you? Um, yeah, I mean, usually I get kind of an outline digitally. But I do add instruments of my own because I think it adds a nice flavor to it. Yeah. There's some instruments you can't duplicate digitally, no matter how hard you try. Mm. I mean, getting better, but anything that's expressive is nigh impossible to duplicate digitally. So, I mean, a lot of times I'll do what I can or I'll get someone in the studio, but I, I play a lot of stringed instruments. So, yeah. a lot of times I will add some kind of stringed instrument or some kind of voice in there. Yeah, I was going to say there's some female vocal there. Is that not from a sound library? Is that somebody coming in and performing? Or um, That's actually a combination. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, uh, I mean, it's a pretty basic uh, singing part, vocal melody. So um, that was a digital part initially, and I had a friend come in and record a little bit, kind of a undercurrent to it, just to kind of, because I thought it made it sound a little more haunting <laughs> to have kind of a realistic ghost undercurrent <laughs> undercurrent rather and so did uh, were you classically trained did you go to music school or or anything like that or is it is it a lifelong passion um no a lifelong passion um i was kind of a, always a guitar player mm. ever since i was a kid which uh led to uh playing in rock bands metal bands and uh i was a classically trained guitarist at one point but okay. no i never went to school and had proper training Yes. It's amazing how uh, I always yeah I love to to find out, but it's it's interesting how so many of the composers we've had on have such a similar sort of background of uh, learning real instruments and then being involved in bands. Oftentimes, bands that have no seeming uh, you know connection with you, you mentioned heavy metal there, and and uh, we're going to hear five of your tracks today or four more, and uh, there there would be you you wouldn't guess you know that that uh, that you'd be a, a metal guy from from the pieces of music that you've made for um, these various games that we're featuring, um, but yeah, there's I mean there's some real um, there's some real variety and eclecticism among uh, among the tunes as well. Uh, would you would it would it be something you'd enjoy to go back to that? sort of genre or or just you know rock generally or something more contemporary and make a, a different sort of a soundtrack um i think so but i mean i i like to do things that interest me and what things that interest me are things that maybe not like they've never been done but just things that are something different and i mean rock and metal genres i mean a lot of it has sort of been done you know i mean yeah. there's still more ground to work with obviously but um it's just such a broad genre and so many people are doing it and i feel like i would have a lot to contribute to it but i would definitely love to infuse that with more things i love to fuse styles together mm. so i could definitely see me doing that more in the future yeah we we're talking uh, when we covered uh, the first uh, witcher game recently there's some uh, there's some so surprising uh, guitar licks suddenly turn up in some of the uh, the boss battle uh, melodies and things like that, which uh, kind of jump out at you after you've been listening to hour after hour of, of kind of the, the more traditional uh, folky medieval fantasy type uh, stuff that you would expect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that when it works, when someone throws yeah. in something that shouldn't be there, but it just works. 
Um, I mean, for instance, there's some tracks in Age of Decadence where I have some banjo in there and some synthesizer. Awesome. Those have no business being in that that uh, that era, in that context. Yeah. But if it fits the mood, if it fits the theme, then, you know, it, it works. Absolutely. Uh, so these uh, role-playing games, uh, obviously, that the Age of Decadence there, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a, a well-considered, well-regarded uh, game with a following. Um, and you mentioned Fallout there in reference to it. And uh, your your first pick from uh, the work of others is from Fallout 2. Uh, so is, is this whole, uh, the sort of the fantasy PC-based mainly role-playing genre, is that your gaming passion as well? It It is. It's kind of... I guess you could say my foundation. It's where I, I started. Uh, some of the earliest games I remember being obsessed with were Fallout 1 and 2 and Baldur's Gate. Yeah. I mean, I've since moved on. I don't play a lot of RPG games just for lack of time. And yeah, of course. I really like to complete them because I'm a bit of a completionist. Yeah. And I can't always dedicate 100 hours to a game. So I have to kind of pick and choose. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, of course, a real uh, sort of a, a revival scene now around games like Pillars of Eternity and Divinity and um, games that kind of <clears throat> hark back to this era. There's a lot of fondness for them. But then also you've got this, the split where genres of games have kind of homogenized in the sense that, uh, as we're covering at the moment on the other podcast, we've started with The Witcher, which in many ways is is kind of a more traditional um rpg and that it's based around bioware's old uh neverwinter engine but that genre you know that series of games rather has kind of um or while it while keeping its uh, rpg roots and fantasy has gone into this very kind of mainstream in in a lot of ways open world uh giant adventure and obviously that's been very very good for cd project red and for gamers as well but um it's interesting that i suppose like with me wanting games that replicate the feel and uh and skills of playing old say arcade games um similarly there are role-playing gamers who don't want their role-playing games kind of um i don't know softened up or, or homogenized in that way so they want them to still be about having lots and lots of little items in tiny windows on on menus and looking at it from the kind of three-quarter isometric perspective and all that sort of thing can you identify with that sort of feeling uh, yeah for sure um and I mean, I'm a fan of Witcher 3. I'm playing Witcher 3 right now, in fact. Um, okay. But I do, I do long for the, the time when, when role-playing games didn't hold your hand. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a spot on your map where you have to go to <laughs> and yeah. do this goal. Um, in fact, um, when I play like Fallout 4, for instance, and this is not a knock on Fallout 4, it's an amazing game, but I find myself falling asleep <laughs> because right. it... It sort of feels like a movie to me because you're just going to this place and doing this thing because it guides you so directly. Uh, Golden arrow, as we call it over on Cana Rinse. And of course you get sidetracked all the time. So maybe a movie isn't the best metaphor, but um, it it loses something. It loses that uh, intensity, that sense that, oh, I have something to lose or I have to figure this out. (laughs) I just love the older RPG games that, that don't hold your hand and you really have to think about what you want to do or where you have to go or what you read or what someone said in that tavern. Definitely. Uh, this, this doctor somewhat recommends or prescribes uh, a dose of, uh, of breath of the wild for the, for the feeling of uh, exploration. Uh, the most recent legend of Zelda game, but obviously the, it doesn't have all the numbers and, and, uh, and little granular bits of classic RPGs. Yeah. But that's uh, certainly for me uh, recaptures a lot of that 
that feeling of actually having to work your way around the world for yourself without just yeah following the following the magic arrow kind of thing we're right. looking into um dragon's dogma as well if you if you played that that's coming coming to uh current consoles later this year which obviously it was uh was something of a of a sleeper hit on 360 and ps3 and we covered it on cane and rinse some time back but um yeah well worth investigating for some uh I, yeah i guess it's kind of somewhere between certain certain elements of old school rpgs and and some of the modern uh things that that they do to make life a little easier for players so yeah check those out but in the meantime okay. Back to uh, your first pick. So uh, I think you rightly identified that we haven't featured any music from this composer before. So you're a fan of Mark Morgan's. Yeah, he's composed for some of my favorite games, Fallout 1, 2, um, Planescape Torment, mm. uh, many others. One of my guilty pleasures, too, Zork Nemesis. Right. <laughs> I remember playing that as a younger, younger chap. Um, so he has a very definite style. And he's an interesting character. He went to Berkeley School of Music, I think right. a classically trained jazz pianist. So he could have, you know, he could have been a composer for Nintendo very easily. Mm. But he sort of went on this other path. <laughs> and the, the music from Fallout series is uh, it's very dark and ambient. It's kind of like a Rorschach that can fit the intensity of any situation. And it's, it's very complex. It's it's almost a little hard to follow just because it's somewhat ambient, but mm. it, it does kind of match whatever situation you're in and it's, it's beautiful. It's got this intensity. It's kind of scary, but beautiful. And, uh, this track I picked because it has quite a bit of drive compared to a lot of the music in fallout. Mm. There's just, you know, thumping bass and, uh, but it also has this genuine sadness that comes in with these strings and uh, it really does represent these people that are in the throes of death and they, they probably should give up, but there's this drive that keeps them going. And I believe this is for the new Reno location. So there's this element of organization and commerce that, are, that is going on with these people here, even though they're well beyond their expiration date. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I like Mark Morgan a lot.
All right, that was Biggest Little City in the World from Fallout 2. That's Mark Morgan. And that is nearly 20 years old now, 1998. Uh, We have covered Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas on the Cana Rinse podcast. But uh, as yet, we haven't returned to the the original couple of games or uh, Fallout Tactics, which is a separate consideration. And nor have we covered Fallout 4, but who knows, maybe someday. Now, next up from our guest, Ryan Eston Paul. This is his work. Now, this is from a... This is like a, a, a guide-in or a spin-off to the Age of Decadence games, as I understand it, called Dungeon Rats. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a mini sequel, I guess you could say. It's, okay. It is, uh, it's more combat-driven than Age mm. of Decadence, and it t- takes place in one location in the Age of Decadence world. It's this prison with multiple layers so it's a it's a dungeon crawler really yeah. and you have to work your way through each layer layer of the prison to get to the top have you uh, have you have you battled through this dungeon yourself or some of it just some of it uh just some of it legitimately yeah <laughs> I've, I've cheated with help of the developers <laughs> yeah that's gotta that's gotta be a foot in the door there to the later levels right yeah did you need yeah. to know what they look like and feel like and play like otherwise you how can you possibly compose appropriate music right exactly yeah and you know a lot of times if you're just doing music you can sometimes you can even or a lot of times you can compose music without exactly knowing how it plays i mean it just kind of happens that way mm. occasionally um but in this case i did sound design as well so i was making sound oh, effects really? oh, okay that's interesting. How when you're when you're making the the sounds for a dungeon crawler, how much of it is existing library stuff, and how much are you going outside and hitting things with axes? <laughs> um, well, with time constraints, it'll be a lot of uh, pre-existing sounds that I have. I have a lot of sample libraries and whatnot, but it's not like I'm taking a weapon sound as it is and just throwing it in there. You no. have to modify everything but there yeah there's a bit of a you know foley work as they call it just recording things and syncing them up um that's gonna be fun oh yeah it's so much fun uh sometimes i enjoy it even more than composing (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah you get to throw things about if you do that while you're composing you're just gonna break expensive expensive instruments right yeah and i found uh kind of with my style i i found i was doing a lot of sound design as it was in the music you know one thing mark morgan does and for instance is he'll throw in like some battle sounds or some screams and stuff yeah. like that kind of adding texture to the music mm. and i i was doing that a lot too so i was basically doing sound design i was just putting it in the music <laughs> so it was kind of a natural uh transition to doing that yeah have you done are, are there any games out there with which ha, which have your sounds but not your music on um sounds but not music no i believe everything i've done has been both okay but ryan eston paul is available is available for work yes <laughs> um so you've obviously got a good relationship with iron tower who make the uh, the age of decadence uh, series if i can call it that i'm not super familiar with with uh, with that mythos but um i've done a little reading uh it looks it looks good and uh traditional and gnarly and they as i say based on the steam uh response and reviews they obviously have a you know they have a solid following and a good reputation yes um they've done really well it's a small team yeah i believe four or five people right and uh, they've sold quite a lot of units. I think it's over 100,000 now. Nice. And for a small team, that's pretty good. Yeah. And they've done well enough to continue development into their next big game, which is the New World. 
which is based in uh, a book called Orphans of the Sky. There we go. And uh, it's coming out sometime in the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, they've done they've done quite well, which is great for all of us. That is great. And they sticking with PC only. I notice uh, from Steam that the games are literally Windows only. They're not they're not on uh, Mac or, or, or console or anything like that. Yeah, they're sticking. They're sticking with PC for now. It's working for them. Uh, so this track, Forgotten Sun, top ambient. Uh, what's the, uh, the, the, the parentheses there? Uh, does that refer to the fact that there's different versions of this song in the game or is that just uh, to identify it particularly? Yeah, that's to identify it. The original title was Top Ambient, which was basically just a placeholder title that refers to the position of the game that it takes place in. So uh, most people, like most fans of the game, would know it by that name. Um, But, you know, the legit name that I gave it is Forgotten Sun. So that's the reason for Top Ambient.
So that is Forgotten Sun, also known as Top Ambient, from the game Dungeon Rats, which is available now on your PC, uh, on Steam and probably elsewhere, but I guess Steam's as good a place as anywhere to get it. Uh, maybe it's available direct from the developer. Sometimes it's worth checking out. So yeah, Iron Tower make that. And the music that we just heard is by our guest, Ryan Eston Paul. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the actual, uh, the piece there, Forgotten Sun. Sure, yeah. Um, it's sort of a similar theme to the first one, House of the Fallen. Mm. But wherein that was a noble house holding onto a kind of a vain fantasy. This one, you're in a feudal section of the prison where the people they have no fantasies about their circumstance they they're literally surrounded by monsters and criminals and hellish things mm-hmm. and they're privileged enough to know that they enjoy a version of peace in this hell so there's no there's no fantasy about it there's a medieval feel to the music there's lots of oud classical guitar and cantel um, i love playing oud on things so it's always fun and uh, ouds um those who don't know, it's a precursor to the lute. It's an original uh, old world guitar, essentially. And uh, But there's also this layer of dust over top of it, mm. kind of ever-present. Uh, it's like these ghosts following the listener of all this suffering that's taken place in this location. So yeah, I enjoyed making this piece a lot. It sounds like you really put in a lot of thought, take it, you know, you take the law uh, and the atmosphere and the setting of the game very seriously. You do, you, do you, um, do you press the developers for kind of a lot of backstory and stuff rather than like, as you say, sometimes you might just get a, a scant note from a developer saying, I don't, you know, I don't know. I've never worked in this field. I've, I've interviewed quite a few composers now though. You might get something which just says, you know, creepy dungeon or something like that. But it sounds like you want a bit more than that. You want to know what's, you know, what the, the, the history and the motivations of, of what's going on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've talked to composers. I don't know how everyone typically does it, but mm. I, I like to know as much as possible. Mm. I like to know the story. I mean, maybe I'm like a method composer, if you want to call <laughs> yeah. it. Why not? Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I the way I work, I kind of get, I kind of put myself in the world, kind of get obsessed with it, just kind of live in it a little bit, and uh, you know, once I'm in that place, it just becomes a lot easier for me to mm. to flesh it out and to finish things, you know, promptly and well. That makes <laughs> yeah. sense. So yeah, I I will press developers for as much as I can get, and it I don't always get everything I want, but <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, The next track is not from an RPG, uh, although it's from a composer who uh, is perhaps best known for working on a very famous series of RPGs. So we think uh, there's there's a slight story behind this, but uh, we think this from uh, Giant Citizen Kabuto uh, is probably... It sounds very much like it's by uh, Jeremy Sewell, who is credited uh, on the uh, on the game. Uh, also, I think Julian Sewell is, has some credit. So I guess uh, that's probably Jeremy's brother. Uh, Mark Morgan also has a credit on the game who we heard from earlier. But as as you identify yourself, uh, it doesn't take a, uh, a musical expert to hear that this sounds uh, quite reminiscent of things that we may be familiar with from. Uh, Skyrim and and others Uh, but this piece in particular is uh, it's called The Four Elements Um, so do you you have fond memories of playing this and listening to this piece of music back from around 2000 when it came out? 
Um, you know, I didn't play Giant Citizen Kabuda too much. <laughs> okay. It's an odd one. It's an odd game. Yeah, you know, it didn't it didn't really draw me in. Um, you know, it had ties to other games that I liked a lot. I believe uh, members from Shiny were... Absolutely, yeah. It's MDK, uh, similar uh, DNA to MDK, if I can say that. And I was a big fan of MDK and Earthworm Jim, those games. Yeah. The, the quirky character of those. Um, mm. So I definitely gave Giants a shot, and it just didn't draw me in for whatever reason. Yeah. I uh, I was instantly attached to the soundtrack, and I, I like it quite a lot. Yeah, I'd, and Jeremy Soule, like you say, he's a bit of a rock star now, for sure, doing the yeah. Skyrim Elder Scrolls series and lots of other ones. He's a busy guy. Um, this is just a really fun piece. has a nice flighty feel to it, and I like how all the elements are represented musically. It Kind of before he became a common name, I would say. So it's always Absolutely. fun to famous composer's earlier work. For sure. Let's hear it, The Four Elements. So that's from the uh, the curious game giant Citizen Kabuto from Planet Moon from 2000. Uh, having now covered MDK one on uh, on the Kane and Rinse podcast, it would be interesting to cover both MDK two, which obviously is by Bioware, and also cover uh, Giant Citizen Kabuto, uh, which sort of shares a similarly. Uh, peculiar and twisted sense of humor to MDK, as well as lots of uh, development DNA, uh, including uh, Nick Bruti, uh, the late Andy Astor, and uh, Bob Stevenson, who's an amazing artist who I know all the way back from the Commodore 64 days when he was uh, doing these amazing title screens. I'm talking, you know, 1984, 85, uh, stuff like that. So uh, a bit of a legend in the industry. Um, yeah, and so that's um, you know I I noticed there. I, did you say Jeremy Soul? I've always said Soul because of the E, but it does it, does he pronounce it Soul? I've never met him. Well, I've I've heard it pronounced both ways, so I don't know. <laughs> well, I want to get him on the show, uh, so I, I should find out. 
in advance. Uh, yes, uh, he. I, I follow him on Twitter, and he thanked me for it. But I don't know if he just got some kind of, um, if that's just uh, and something that happens automatically. But uh, uh, I have. I hopefully I have a road into some of these people, and uh, the more the more interesting uh, composers we get on, the more uh, the more. Uh, doors are ajar for us to to try to get some of these bigger names on which would be amazing to hear yep. about his career and uh, and yeah some of those pieces he's composed for games that people will know absolutely uh, inside out and back to front next up from our guest composer ryan eston paul we have uh, a piece from a game uh, called pylon rogue this is not a game I'm familiar with. This is uh, another PC title from uh, a developer called Quantum Squid. You'll be able to t tell us more about them as well. Uh, and this is Cave Theme. So, uh, yeah, give us the uh, the skinny version of what Pylon Rogue is and uh, what the music's about as well, please. Sure, yeah. I mean, originally this game was uh, a bit of a Diablo-esque fight okay. loot evolved into a roguelike now so there's a couple iterations of this game and I it sounds see. like sounds like the roguelike is the uh the current one you know i haven't been in, involved in development for a while now so you know they're they're doing what they what they will with it at this moment <laughs> that's the one that's on steam that i could see anyway yeah and this so this is quantum squid they're out of uh portland oregon and i'm friends with a few of them i had a buddy who, who worked for them for a while and uh so this is called cave theme and I really love doing cave themes, water themes. It's just this space that makes for a great canvas, right. base elements of space and uh, darkness. Mm. And then you can kind of combine that with whatever your imagination fills it with. It really uh, spawns creativity. That's uh, that's true. And and as much as uh, as much as you like composing for them, gamers obviously like being in them. Uh, I mean, it's there's not really many more archetypal locations for uh, people to dungeon delve in than caves. I know you, you can put a dungeon anywhere, and a dungeon is always uh, cave-like to some to some extent. Uh, you know, crepuscular and all that sort of stuff. But um, but a cave. Yeah, cave has real. As soon as you, uh, have you have you been to any like um, any real life kind of you know spectacular cave places? Because it's they've got an incredible atmosphere, quite unlike anything else, I think. Yes, yeah. There's uh, there are the Oregon caves, um, right? Where I'm from, and uh, I visited them as a little kid. Yeah, amazing. Definite lasting impression on a little imaginative Ryan Paul. <laughs> Well, I still think, I don't know about you, but when I'm playing games, whether it be The Witcher or Zelda or, or whatever else, but any of those games, I am still on some level trying to recover those feelings I had as a child of exploration. I know famously Shigeru Miyamoto talks about how that uh, games like Zelda were inspired by his own kind of childlike adventures. So I guess that's something that's innate in all of us. And I suppose because most of us don't get to be adventurers in real life, you know, we go from home to office to coffee shop to, you know, occasional holiday or whatever. We don't get to live that that life of backpacks and making fires in the woods and, and all that sort of stuff. But there is something kind of really primal about it that we want to stay connected with. And I guess that's what you're trying to really help evoke in the music. Music and and for me as a gamer and just a music fan, um, the music can play an in integral part in helping to evoke those those primal feelings that I'm 
I'm desperate to to feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as a composer, I mean, you're always trying to draw upon those those primal emotions. Yeah. Um, and something like like a cave is it's easy to draw upon those. As you say, uh, it, it's cool to hear your story about about a uh, Neomoto. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I mean, life experience definitely informs our art. It's it's easy to get stuck, you know, behind a computer or in the studio just doing what we do. But we need to always remember to to experience life because it always informs what we do. Yeah. Do you have any process as a composer of going places, like rather than just sitting in the studio and working? Obviously, in terms of actually making the sounds, you need to have your your kit around you and you need to have the right acoustics and stuff like that. But in terms of actually inspiring yourself do you go on field trips for that as as much you know you were talking about earlier to go outside to do foley work but actually if you were writing a piece about you know a windswept plane would it help you would you be would you actually you know take the trip kind of thing yeah yeah i i definitely do i like to capture something or i like to go and play an instrument somewhere in a neat tunnel or a cave if i can um obviously i don't I don't do this all the time, but it's something I like to try to do. Something I do do a lot of the times is I will capture impulses. I don't know okay. what convolution reverb is, but nope. you can go out and record a clap in a cave, and then okay. you can yeah. use that reverb to create the reverb for your your instruments. It can be a, a insert effect to instruments. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of a a twofold quest. I get to go out somewhere and take in nature and I get to record something that I can use. <laughs> that sounds idyllic. Uh, that sounds like a, a job that, uh, yeah, that should be very, very re- rewarding and satisfying also. But I, yeah, I do realize that as well as that, there is the, uh, the day-to-day admin of being a freelance <laughs> worker and all that sort of thing. So it's not all magic and romance, I'm sure. I live in the Pacific Northwest and I'm surrounded by pine trees. So there's, there's lots of beauty around me, which definitely helps. Absolutely. Well, let's hear something inspired by caves, the cave theme from Pylon.
that's available as well now on Steam. Uh, neither of us has um, anything to gain from this one, unless you're on a royalty, uh, Ryan, in which case, fine, I don't care. Yeah, everyone go and buy it. Uh, <laughs> it's a pylon from, uh, from Quantum Squid on, on the PC from, yeah, just last year, 2016. Now, next up, we have uh, Ryan Paul's next pick from the uh, very popular, uh, I think, much-loved game from Rockstar Bully originally known as Carnis Carnum Edit. That's Dog Eat Dog in Latin, folks, just in case you don't know. Uh, now, this is, uh, yeah, from the Halloween sequence of the game. It's it's the best part of 10 years since I played uh, Bully. So uh, I do have vague recollections of some kind of trick-or-treating um, escapade. But um, uh, is this one where you like the game or you just like the music? I would say I like the music more. Um, I have mixed feelings about Bully, but I definitely enjoyed it when I played it. But the music instantly drew me in and I became a a big fan of Sean Lee through this Mm. through the soundtrack of Bully for sure. Yeah, as you say, uh, Sean Lee has a few other gaming credits, but he's not a prolific uh, gaming composer. He's probably more known for his own uh, output uh, or as a part of uh, collectives as well. Another thing that's interesting about Bully, I think, is that it's it's not exactly clear kind of where or when it is. It's, we know it's developed in Vancouver, um, but beyond that, it's this kind of American school. But it's hard to it's hard to lock it down to a time period or whatever. And I think um, Sean Lee's obviously uh, kind of taken that in the music in the sense that it doesn't particularly evoke any like notable real life era. Right. Yeah. Bully takes place somewhere between the 1940s and the 1990s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are arcade games in the school which kind of age it a bit, although, uh, yeah, it would, it would, it, you could easily look past those. Um, and it's hard to say again exactly when, when they might be from. They could be from the anything between the early 80s and the, and the mid ni- 90s. Um, but yeah, so what sort of. The the thing that always stands out to me when I listen to the Bully soundtrack is the bass work. Like it's it's it seems to be like really prevalent. But are there other the, the, there's there's a particular sound to it that I wouldn't know how to describe other than it sounds like the Bully soundtrack. Do you know what I mean? Like what what's he what's what's he using here? What's he what's he getting at? Do you think? Well, as you say, uh, amazing bass work, amazing drumming. Yeah, I think a large part of it is that is. You'll hear musicians talk about the touch or the feel. Mm. I think Sean Lee just has an amazing touch. You know, there's nothing crazy going on in the bass or the drums, but it's just executed so perfectly. He just has a perfect touch to it. And, you know, if anyone ever gets a chance, look up Sean Lee. And I think there's a video where he makes a track and or he, he writes, records, and masters a track in like four hours, which is pretty fast. He's just a wizard. He plays everything. He knows exactly what he wants to do at any given moment. And he has this, this passion. You can just tell everything he does. He just loves doing it. And it, you can really hear that. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just he loves what he's doing and you can it's infectious through the music. I think I said that originally he had only done Bully and you corrected me. <laughs> um but I just he, yeah, just found a few. He worked on the Getaway, did a bit, uh, did some on Sleeping Dogs and uh, Tales from the Borderlands as well. Yeah, and he's quite prolific. He has a a, a lot of albums, and I think mm. a lot of the work on his albums has been used in some of these other games. I think Bully might have been the only one he's 
made original music to. I, I could be wrong. Ah, I see. Okay. But but it's it's sad because Bully Bully's a very good soundtrack. And yeah, I love kind of all the the Halloween elements that are thrown in, kind of like a fine spice theorem mm. and organ stabs and whatnot. But uh by and large, this is this is like a spy soundtrack for Halloween tricksters. <laughs> Halloween, as if you couldn't tell by Sean Lee, thanks to the aforementioned uh, theremins and organs, it has Halloween written all over it. Uh, we covered uh, Bully on the Cana Rinse podcast. Seek that out via the usual uh, methods, places, Googling, whatever. Go to canarinse.com. It's all there. iTunes. And uh, listen to our kind of two hour review, which is what we do on the other podcast. Next up from our guest, Ryan, we have uh, another track from Age of Decadence. Uh, This is, uh, yeah, so this is the 215 game. This is uh, a piece called The Imperial Guards. So what inspired this one? We know that you'll have have, uh, taken the context into account, shall we say. My guidelines from the developer for this one were uh, when the Imperial Guards come to town, people get crucified. So the track should reflect that. So this is obviously a military theme. I think I think you talked about military themes and marches a couple sound of plays ago with it, Mike Resnick. Um, mm. I could so um, those are my guidelines. That's pretty much all I had to go off of. Um, but I tried to capture both sides of the coin in this one. You have kind of your your proud military theme for an order restoring force in this wasteland. So in a way, it's victorious. This is a force that is organizing people, bringing some form of order in this chaos. But there's also this dark turn around the three-minute mark, and you begin to hear the force of this mighty weapon coming down harshly upon innocent people. And that's where you hear the the crucifixion, if you will. Hmm. Yeah, uh, light and uh, fluffy stuff from the age of decadence this is the imperial guards by ryan eston paul (laughs) 
was lucky enough to see Dunkirk yesterday, the new Christopher Nolan movie about the famous evacuation of Dunkirk. And uh, and I have to say, this is apropos of nothing other than music that evokes uh, militaristic uh, action. But Hans Zimmer's score for Dunkirk is astonishing, I think. Um, it's basically starts at the start of the film and just keeps building for an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, it's I think it's probably something that other composers will will really like um, as well. So if you've got any, uh, you you must be familiar with some of Hans Zimmer's um, work as a composer. Uh, yes, Hans Zimmer is one of my favorites, actually. Is he? Okay. Well, yeah, definitely recommend definitely recommend uh, seeing Dunkirk um, because I think, although I think it would be wor- absolutely worth hearing and listening to the OST outside of the the film. It's so clearly interwoven and everything is. Uh, choreographed and edited to you know just like a a fine uh a fine-tuned machine and in fact it's got his i know it's one of his signatures and also christopher nolan's signatures is to play around with time but it pretty much has a ticking watch all the way all the way through for the entire duration and uh and that's kind of something in itself and you could almost say well it's kind of a cheap trick to uh evoke this the you know an urgency the passing of time but it works you know it really works and again uh, I guess because we've had clockwork in our lives for so long now as as people, it's, you know, it feels, again, it feels almost primal. Maybe, maybe it um, plays into our kind of heartbeat and that kind of thing. I don't know. But uh, he also uses the the thing that I now have relearned because I kept forgetting. It's called the shepherd tone. I don't need to tell you this, but um, Koji Kondo famously deployed it in Super Mario 64 when you go up the impossible staircase and it sounds like your the music is rising and rising and rising and rising. So apparently Zimmer deploys that throughout uh, Dunkirk to, to give you the impression that things are st- it's just constantly going up. <laughs> like everything's just ratcheting up and notching up. Um, when in fact it isn't. Yeah, and Hans Zimmer's a master of that. He he employs that quite a bit. We're getting into movie soundtracks now. Some things I love that Hans Zimmer has said is that uh, he considers himself a sound designer more mm, than a composer. Right. And I've always loved that because that's that is kind of how I've always viewed music. Um, like obviously, I appreciate all the masterful composers throughout history, but um, I've always kind of seen myself more as a sound designer. And Hans Zimmer has always said that he's a terrible performer. <laughs> <laughs> which i oh, okay okay you're not you're not so happy on a stage i mean it's obviously something you've done but is it not it's not your your burning desire oh um it, it just depends um yeah give me a guitar i'll go on stage i i perform quite a bit um oh, that's good to hear but you know i i'm using you know keyboard a lot when i'm recording and composing so i would probably wouldn't play piano on a stage anytime soon <laughs> right uh, and for those of us in probably mainly in the UK, uh, people will know if the, if you don't know, uh, but it's actually it's probably worth saying to our uh, American uh, listeners and friends that um, and, and elsewhere as well. Hans Zimmer was first known over here for a quiz, though, a quiz, quiz show theme tune. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's called Going for Gold and it's incredibly cheesy 80s quiz show theme tune. And that was Hans Zimmer for us for a long time. And then like, oh, actually, he's this super talented, uh, you know, classical film composer. Uh, but yeah, check it out. Going for Gold, 1980s stroke 90s UK TV. Uh, a really bad quiz show with a really silly theme tune. 
Well, yeah, he was uh, originally in an 80s pop band, I want to say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Kind of like Danny Elfman, sort of a similar word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I can't remember the name, but yes, I think you're absolutely right. Sort of Euro poppy kind of uh, yeah. Uh, deal. Yeah. So it makes made perfect sense that he wrote Going for Gold. Uh, so our penultimate track for this sound of play is your last pick from the work of others. And again, another composer I don't think we've featured before to my memory. Apologies if that's incorrect. Uh, this is from another classic PC role playing game. Uh, and again, one I know that I guess this is kind of a cult classic in that it's not one that um, maybe everyone would immediately say, you know, best game ever. But if you go and visit, say, uh, this piece of music on YouTube, you'll, sh- you'll see loads of people in the comments saying, this is my favorite game of all time kind of thing and i see uh it's one of yours too right uh yes it is for sure um i love gothic 2 it's it's sort of hard to pin it down but Mm. it's sort of an rpg sort of action action rpg healing game um it has some horrible voice acting (laughs) it has some weird weird glitches that appear throughout the game but um there's just something undeniable about it there's this feel to it um it doesn't tell you what to do ever (laughs) there's that uh, exactly what we were talking about earlier yeah no golden arrow here no you will literally talk to someone and they will say something to you and if you don't remember what they said well poor you (laughs) (laughs) and you have to look at things and you have to find things and uh it's it's hard at first. You literally can't fight a rat. <laughs> but by the end of the game, you're an unstoppable force, kind of that typical mm. trope of, you know, becoming godlike. But uh, yeah, and it's it's also great. You're just wandering the country countryside and uh, the town folk are just kind of doing what they do. This was before uh, Elder Scrolls really kind of... Uh, institutionalize that whole aspect of RPG of people having their own schedules and at a certain time and working. Um, this is one of the first I remember doing that, um, to this extent. And, uh, also if someone dies in this game, if a merchant gets killed, that's it. You yes. can't, it's brutal. So, you know, a monster might follow you to town and kill your favorite merchant and it's heartbreaking. <laughs> I remember I had this one merchant I used all the time and one day he died and I was legitimately sad. I'm like, really wow. traumatized 15 years later as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And things like that, even now, it still seems, uh, you know, beyond what a lot of games would would attempt that kind of level of possibility and potential potentially fatal kind of game killing situations understandably because you know nobody wants to seemingly not many people ever want to be stuck but actually the the thought that you could have the game kind of if not broken then made almost impossibly hard for you that's actually what keeps some of these classic games thrilling isn't it yeah yeah obviously there's a big risk to that Uh, when it works it works so well um like i never had the the game break on me for any reason i did have full saves just in case (laughs) but well there's always that option isn't there yeah yeah Uh, so the risen series has kind of supplanted uh piranha bites um output in recent years and those are games which crop up a lot as freebies as part of bundles as games with gold kind of thing so i think i've got the entire risen series but not any of the gothic series um have you kept up with the risen games do they are they like the natural spiritual successors to gothic do they not have the same magic or 
or what? Yeah, I would say Risen 1 is. Um, Risen 2 introduces some new things, and it doesn't it doesn't work quite so well. Mm. And I would even say by Gothic 3, they sort of started losing their way. Ah. And I think the scope just got way too big for what they were capable of doing. Right. I think Gothic 2 is really kind of the penultimate Piranha Bytes game that everyone should at least give a try. And Risen 1 is is really good as well. Okay. Well, uh, maybe I'll stick it on the famous Kane and Rince very, very long list because I don't think Gothic 2 is on there, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, it's interesting looking now. Risen 2 came out after The Witcher 2, for instance. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And they have a new game coming out later this year and they've gone sci-fi for the first time, I, I guess, with a game called LX coming out in October on uh, PS4 and uh, Xbox One and, and PC. So it'd be interesting to see if, uh, if that, um, you know, reignites them as a studio going going down a slightly different path but uh, this piece you've selected anyway kai rosencrantz uh it's uh, it's just known as far as i can work out as in-game music um <laughs> but uh i don't know if there's any any more you can uh, you can enlighten us about it than that yeah so it, it it sort of has its placeholder name still they never gave it a new name <laughs> i see it seems um yeah, so this is the music that plays uh, while you're wandering the countryside, while you're traveling around, and uh, it kind of hits the full gamut of of notes and themes throughout. <laughs> yeah. Gothic. So obviously, to me, in my mind, this conjures up the majority of my experience in Gothic Two. It's uh, it's a beautiful piece. It's dangerous, um, kind of scary, and but there's this lovely acoustic guitar that comes in throughout it that is just beautiful. I just I love it. It completely matches the the subdued and kind of the meandering feeling of gothic 2 you're wandering the countryside stumbling upon countless people just kind of living their lives but then there's this these horns and these strings that come in and just remind you that if you walk around that corner there's there could be a demon that's gonna burn you alive (laughs) or a rat that will follow you and kill your merchant (laughs) (laughs) here it is in-game music
So that's from seemingly much-loved cult classic Gothic 2, PC role-playing game from 2002, with some action, uh, by Kai Rosencrantz, who hasn't done much else since in the way of games, it seems. No, I I, I want to say he's done all the Ronabites soundtracks. Um, okay. I think he did Risen 1 through 3, I think they're up to. I know Gothic series got a new name eventually and went to a different studio. And for the life of me, remember what that name was, but he didn't follow the new studio into the, the new Gothic series, whatever it was I called. See. He did nothing else besides Piranha Bytes games, which is unfortunate. Uh, yeah, so I, sp- I assume the Gothic then was named, uh, the name was owned by... Uh, the publisher or something like that so hence it got taken off elsewhere and the developer made something else called Risen I guess uh, seems to happen a lot remember listeners please venture over to our forum canandrince.com slash forum and you can uh, request tracks for the show when we don't have a composer on as I always say composers get to choose all the tracks including some of their own all you have to do is become a composer be in some games and then you can come on in fact sometimes we have people who haven't even been in games yet and who uh, want to uh, air their portfolio which we love as well so please let us know if you're that if, if that is you I should say uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rince use the hashtag sound of play uh, we also have a Facebook page of course uh, and in the regular show we'll continue to include a selection from from our big bag of requests uh, your favorite tunes from the history of video games music and uh, other picks uh, such as odd oddities and curios that you might think of um, but as we say uh, not generally just purely licensed tracks that were hits in their own right because uh, all sorts of reasons why we don't do that but yeah just don't um, you generally don't so that's fine Uh, Please do subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Leave us an iTunes review or rating. We had one new one recently. uh, But as I've been saying for some time now, listeners, uh, Kane and Rince has hundreds of iTunes reviews. Sound of Play has in the tens still. So we could really do with upping that uh, because not only uh, does it make us feel special and loved, it also actually helps us uh, have a higher uh, visibility on the iTunes store, which is obviously good. And we also have a Patreon these days, patreon.com slash You can contribute. The minimum is a dollar a month. Uh, everything's uh, free, no no paywalls as such, but, uh, but understand that it gets ploughed back into the making of these shows, which takes an enormous amount of time and effort, this and Cane and Rinse. And in fact, if we hit our target by uh, mid-November of $3,000 a month, we will actually make more podcasts for you, which will be twice as many Cane and Rinse podcasts a year. So before we hear about uh, your charming closing track, uh, 
which will absolutely ably demonstrate uh, Ryan's uh, versatility as a composer. Uh, well, I want to thank you, Ryan. Ryan Eston Paul, this is for coming along. And um, do you have anything that you currently would like to point our listeners in the direction of, or just simply advertise your uh, availability uh, to our ever-growing community? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you can find me at uh, ryanestonpaul.com or you can find me on SoundCloud. My name is uh, Osiginon, O-S-I-G-I-N-O-N. And you can also find me in the Iron Tower forums, which is the developers of Age of Decadence, and I'm Osiginon there. Uh, find me on Facebook, Ryan Eston Paul. Um, I love talking to people, so no problems befriending me or whatever. Um, going to be working on uh, the new world for Iron Tower coming up here very soon. So that's kind of the next big project on the horizon. Excellent. And uh, yeah, I'm always uh, looking for work, working with developers. Uh, my big goal is to be in a music or sound department for a developer. So if anyone's looking, I'm here. <laughs> Well, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, listeners, yeah, if, if you're interested in talking to Ryan, uh, just you can, yeah, you can go through us as well. Uh, I can I can hook you up, as it were, uh, or our friend Dan Clark, if you followed him or whatever. So there are many ways. Um, and yes, if you weren't convinced already about Ryan's talent, I think this one will tip you over the edge. Uh, this is this is the proof that not only can uh, Ryan do atmospheric uh, military tunes and, and pieces for caves and ambient dungeons and all sorts of stuff. He can also do kind of bluegrass hoedowns. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? So, uh, yeah, zombie faceball. This is also quantum squid. And uh, is this this is a. a, a you can play it on your PC desktop, but it's also on iOS, I think, isn't it? And stuff like that. It's a, it's a kind of, uh, it's, it's a, it's a knockabout game where you try to literally knock about zombie heads and hit them as far as possible. Yes. Yeah. A zombies run at the home plate and you swipe their heads off and it's, it's really fun. <laughs> I think it's really yeah. fun. Um, yeah, it reminds me of the um, the smash bag uh, challenge from from Smash Brothers. It's one of those kind of things where the ultimate aim is is just to keep um, you know beating your your best. But it's uh, there are certain other elements start to come into play um, from what I've seen. So uh, things will things will hinder you and and get in the way and and stop you and stuff like that. Uh, so was it? The developers who decided on the kind of um, the country, the US, the USA country and Western, not, well, not Western country type uh, theme. Or was that your suggestion? Well, yeah, they kind of hinted, you know, we want we want banjoey music, I think is OK, said. But uh, I mean, I I just like to try things different and have fun. I, of course, do things that um, that make sense and will enhance the game. But I, I just thought, uh, why not do a, a legit theme song with vocals and everything? Do a jingle. Um, I think I I was talking to the art director from Quantum Squid and told him my idea. And he said, uh, oh, uh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I said, don't worry, it'll be good. And I'm thinking, well, I, I hope it turns out well. <laughs> Well, I think it did. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of songs, comedy songs with vocals in games these days, and uh, and I think uh, it, yeah, when 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 they're when they're nice, they're they're nice, and when sometimes you know they like all these things, they miss the mark, and they they can be a bit uh, a, a bit cringe. But I think this one's very sweet. And um, so who are the who are the singers? 
Uh, it's me and my wife, actually. Oh, even cuter. <laughs> that is super cute. Yeah. Well, you harmonized beautifully together. Is that is that what attracted you to one another? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Among Say other yes. things, <laughs> we harmonize in many ways. Oh, in life. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um. Right. So, well, thanks again, Ryan, and uh, we'll leave you listeners with the zombie faceball theme. As if you couldn't tell, it tells you right there in the song. Until next time, with Ryan. Goodbye. Thank you. Gate when those zombies storm the plate, we will bat their ugly heads into the sky.